Hey everybody, welcome to the Quacks Podcast. I don't know what it is about this summer in particular, but for some reason, the heat here in Arizona has just been brutal. I just have had no tolerance whatsoever going outside. You know, Phoenix is such a weird place to live because it's almost like winter and summer get swapped around. You know, other places in the winter, you have to stay inside. It's so cold. You can't go out and do anything. Here in Arizona and Phoenix, the winter is the time to do stuff. The summer is when you stay inside and don't do anything. So oh, it can be a little little cabin feverish. Now, today I want to run through a couple interesting pieces on exercise performance that I think are very compelling. Uh, the first is going to be an amazing exercise tip that will increase your performance more than anabolic steroids, if you can believe that. And the second piece is going to be about a simple test that you can do every day, which will measure whether any activity you're doing, so any diet, any whatever, uh, is either healthy and helpful for you or not. So, I mean, you could tell whether exercise was building you up or breaking you down, that that kind of thing. Anyway, I think, I think you're going to dig it. So, uh, let's start with the first thing. How can you improve your exercise performance by 40, 50, even 60%? Now, I rarely take ideas from other podcasts that I listen to. I listen to a lot of podcasts because I'm out driving around for work, and podcasts are so easy to listen to and, and learn something new. Um, but in general, I like to come up with my own ideas, especially because the process of discovery that I go through is really where I get a lot of value. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but if you just copycat other people, it's kind of like the ideas don't quite sink into your brain. Uh, the process of finding out an idea, researching it, testing things out, this is what makes an idea meaningful in my mind. It, it kind of tells me whether something I am talking about has real merit or not, and it, it also lets me speak confidently about it. So the process of discovery is really important. With that said, I was listening to the Huberman podcast, Huberman, I don't know how you say his name, uh, the Huberman Lab podcast, which is hosted by Andrew Huberman, and he was the one who put forward this idea, which I just had to share with you guys. Now, by the by, he does have a great podcast. It's a little long. Uh, they can run up to two hours sometimes, uh, and he's also very academic, so he has that whole kind of towing the party line thing where you know he can think outside the box in very narrow fields, but it's pretty much inside the box in most ways. You know, academics like to think of themselves as liberals and open-minded, but they just have some of the most rigid thinking out there. At least that's what I've found. Anyways, so he talks about this tip that I'm going to talk about in episode 19, uh, and I'll have that link in the show notes if you are interested. Now, this research originally comes from Craig Heller and his team at Stanford who experiment with cooling and heating the body in various ways to augment performance. When we think of how our bodies cool themselves on a hot day, you know, we would probably think of sweating, which would then evaporate and that would cool us down. However, most mammals, they have lots of fur and they don't sweat much. Or if they do, you know, it's, it's very small amounts. What they have are what are called glabrous skin areas, which are hairless areas that are designed to conduct cold and heat into the animal's core. It's almost like these, you know, if it were a house, it would be, uh, if it were, I'm sorry, if it were electrical, it would be like copper tubes running from your hands or, you know, wherever these glabrous skin areas to your core. Now, they do this through a unique vascular system in those areas. So if you look at a bear in the summer with an infrared lens, you will see that its nose and its palms, you know, the palms of its feet and, 
hands, I don't know, whatever bears have, its palms would be very hot compared to the rest of its body because those areas are releasing heat to cool the animal down. Uh, The same is true for dogs and their tongues. So the body uses these glabrous skin areas and it flows blood through them, which releases heat and it grabs cold, which cools the core of the animal. And it can also work the opposite way if the body is hypothermic by grabbing heat and delivering it to the core. So uh, it's, it's either one. They're, you know, this glabrous skin areas, they're like conductors. Now, interestingly enough, humans have glabrous skin as well on the bottoms of their feet, the palms of their hand, and the upper part of their face. Uh, with beards, the face is kind of debatable on, on how much of it is glabrous skin, but definitely the palms and the soles of the feet are glabrous skin. Now think about it. If you're cold, you hold your hands to the fire. Well, why is that? Well, it's because the body delivers the heat to your core through your hand. Similarly, even if you know the room temperature that you're walking around in is okay, and it's not very cold, if you walk around with bare feet on a cold floor, that can kind of give you a chill. The reason being these glabrous skin areas conduct heat and cooling into your core. Now, what Craig Heller and his lab have found is that heat is the enemy of all exercise performance. When muscles get hot, the enzyme and chemical reactions within your muscle cells, they slow down. And if it gets very hot, they stop working altogether. So if you get too hot while you're running, at a certain point, you know, no matter how much glucose you have in your system or electrolytes, no matter, you know, no matter how many of those little cubes you've eaten or Gatorade you've swilled down, you're just going to stop because the muscles can't make energy anymore when they get too hot. And research has shown that the hotter it is, the faster your muscles reach that point where they just have to stop. Now, as an aside, this actually applies to willpower in general. Uh, The hotter it is, the less willpower you have. And I think most people who live in Arizona have found this to be the case, uh, especially in the summer where spending, you know, even a moderate amount of time outdoors can totally sap you of your your will to live. And maybe that's what's happening to me this summer. I don't know. Um, But taking a cold shower often gives you willpower. That's one of the findings that people always say when they take showers, that they can, uh, cold showers, that they can push through boundaries, they can get things done. Uh, now there's side effects. It will raise cortisol, adrenaline, and it will speed up your aging. So, you know, there's a cost benefit analysis there, but in general, heat lowers willpower, cool increases willpower in a certain range. Obviously, if you're in the Arctic, you know, and you're frozen solid, you're not doing much. (laughs) So anyway, what Craig Heller's team did is they tried cooling the hands and measuring how much more exercise somebody could do. It's a pretty simple idea, really. They said, you know, let's cool these glabrous skin areas and see if someone can exercise more. Uh, They did several studies on this, and they found amazing results. One person who was on the research team, he was a gym guy, I guess, he could do about 100 pull-ups, which is a lot of pull-ups. So they measured him doing 100 pull-ups in a lab, you know, doing his normal routine. They said, okay, that's great. The next day, they used these hand-cooling instruments, which are, are basically, they're a large glove that it has a vacuum seal and it runs cool water through the glove to cool down the hands. It it sounds a little complicated, but it's basically running water through a glove over a hand to cool down the hand. So the gym guy, they use this glove between pull-up sets and he could do 180 pull-ups. And this is the very next day when he would be slightly tired from the 100 pull-ups that they did the previous day. So that's almost a doubling of his performance just using these gloves. But that isn't the most shocking part. 
Over the next six weeks, using these cooling gloves, the guy increased the amount to over 620 pull-ups that he could do. And that kind of increase in performance is ridiculous. I mean, the guy said that the gloves basically erased his muscle fatigue. He could uh, continue to do pull-ups as if he had just started. So as far as performance hacks goes, this is an incredibly simple one with some really amazing benefits. Now, Craig and his team, they did more studies with these cooling gloves on athletes. Uh, They did it on people with MS. They compared the cooling gloves to anabolic steroids, and they found that the cooling gloves still increase performance faster than even crap tons of, you know, testosterone injectables. In fact, nothing beat the cooling gloves. They were the best of anything else that they tested them against. So how can we test this out? How can you test this out? Well, you want to cool your hands, uh, the bottoms of your feet or your face while you are working out. Uh, But there is one thing to be aware of. The water or, you know, whatever you're using to cool the hands down, it can't be too cold. Ice or very cold water will cause the veins in the glabrous skin to contract and not deliver the cooling to the core. And this constriction can be severe where blood flow may drop as low as 5% of what it was before the cooling. So basically completely sealed up, no cold coming into your core from your hands. And this is designed into how these glabrous skin areas worked. You know, the the body wants to hold onto the heat in its core if it's too cold out. So if the hands become too cold, you know, the body blocks that cold from reaching your organs. So the temperature has to be, uh, just be cool, not cold. And this also means that some of these rapid cooling devices that are on the market or ice baths, they can actually be detrimental to muscle cooling and muscle growth. Uh, A lot of people, you know, they hear this research and they just think, oh, you know, I'm just going to jump in an ice bath after a run and that'll cool me down, no problem. And then I'll be able to keep working out. It doesn't really quite work that way. So you don't want to be so cold as to create vasoconstriction. Uh, I would start with just cooler than body temperature. You're going to have to experiment a bit. So if you turn on the faucet in the summer and the water comes out and it's, it's cool, but you know, it isn't shocking to your hand. You don't feel like your hand is going, ooh, that's cold. That's probably the right temperature. Now you would do that for maybe 30 seconds to a minute between sets of exercise, between push-ups, between whatever you're doing. And then you'd go back to doing the exercise and you'd see how that works. See if that uh, increases your performance. And if you, it's, you're gonna have to experiment. I mean, if you're in a very hot environment, you know, maybe you need to cool for longer or you know, in addition to your hands, you could splash water on your face or put your feet in a cold water bucket or something. Uh, if you, on the other hand, if you're in a very cold environment, maybe you actually need to heat your hands up or face you know, because your muscles are locking up. It's really just gonna depend on the environment you're in and how much cooling you need there. So with that caveat aside, Another great find from Craig is that the increases in strength and endurance that athletes achieved from this cooling persisted, even if they stopped using the cooling gloves. They also found that the recovery times were faster. So in general, the faster you could restore the core temperature of an athlete down to what it was before they started exercising, the shorter their recovery time would be. And this works in males and females. At first they thought it was just going to be males, perhaps due to hormonal differences, but it works in women too. So now I haven't really had a chance to test this out for myself, but the amount of people online saying how well it works was significant. Uh, As one of the researchers said, temperature is the primary limiting factor for performance. Uh, 
which is just so cool. I mean, I had no idea about this. And it makes me wonder about swimming because I used to be a swimmer in high school and swimming gets you in shape so fast. It really is one of the best exercises you can do. And I wonder if part of the reason for that is because you are being cooled on your face and your hands and your feet while you're swimming in the water, which according to this research would let you exercise for longer. And this would build muscle and endurance faster. So I, I wonder if swimming has this built-in cooling and that's why it's such great exercise. Anyways, let me know if this trick works for you. It is so simple. I just totally had to share it. All right. So the second thing I wanted to talk about is heart rate variability or HRV for short. Now there've been some recent articles about HRV in the last few years, and it seems to be getting more popular as a health marker. So I figured I would touch on it. HRV is a measurement of how much your heartbeat varies between intervals. So if you measure your heartbeat, you know, you may get 60 beats per minute, which is one beat per second, let's say. You can then measure the time between each beat, and you will find that there is usually not one second between each beat, contrary to what you would think. You know, you'd think, okay, there's 60 beats per minute. That's one beat per second. In actuality, it's going to be 0.8 seconds between two beats, and then it's going to be 1.4 seconds between the next beat and the previous one. It's going to fluctuate. Your heart fluctuates in its rhythm as it beats. Now, you'll normally find your heartbeat speeds up as you inhale, and it slows down as you exhale. Now, the interesting thing about this HRV number is that contrary to what you might think at first, a higher variability is healthier than a lower one. Uh, we're so trained to think that a higher heart rate is worse than a lower heart rate, which is arguable, according, according to Ray Pete. Uh, but it is the case that you want a higher HRV. The research is pretty robust. The reason is because HRV is measuring your body's ability to change and adapt to its environment second by second. So if you're sitting there and you breathe in, your heart rate jumps up. There's some excitement there. On the other side, HRV, it measures your ability to relax. So once you breathe out, your heart rate slows down a little bit. There's some relaxation there. And it goes back and forth like this. And the healthier you are, the better your body can do this. The less healthier you are, the harder it is for your, this you know, muscle, your heart, to have that variability. So in general, as we get older, our bodies, they're more stressed. You know, it's harder for them to relax. And so our HRV, it actually falls. When younger, our bodies have the adrenal and the nervous system tone to easily go from those high states of excitement to relaxation and back and forth. So our HRV is higher when we are younger. But why does all this matter to your health? Well, here are some of the things that are associated with higher HRV. Uh, greater cardiovascular fitness, more resiliency to stress, your mood. Uh, they found that lower HRV and depression go hand in hand. Uh, less depression, less chance of stroke. A higher HRV is associated with more uh, self-control, more discipline. So the, the rabbit hole kind of goes deep on this. But the biggest thing I think it does is it gives you a window into how well your adrenals and your nervous system are operating. And the state of your nervous system and its ability to adapt to the environment is really huge. This is like, you know, life itself. So measuring that ability seems incredibly important. I mean, you know, unhealthy people, their adrenals and nervous systems, they're totally wrecked. I mean, I've been there. So anyway, how can we use this HRV as a tool? 
Well, one use I found particularly interesting when I was doing this research was to evaluate whether you are overtraining or not. See, endurance exercise and high-intensity training, they're a bit of a double-edged sword. On one hand, there are you know many health benefits to these activities. I'm not going to go over those, but you know you can hear all about them and read about them if you want. On the other hand, marathon runners, they're some of the least healthy people around. They drop dead a lot. <laughs> I mean, if you work out too much, you will break your body and metabolism down, and too much is, is a lot closer than you think. Uh, your metabolism starts to degrade as soon as you start doing endurance exercise. So, you know, how can we tell if we are working out in a way that is helping us or not hurting us? Uh, you could look at heart rate. Normally, if you start exercising, a decreasing heart rate is thought of as a marker that, you know, you're getting in, into better shape. But like I said, Ray Pete and others have criticized this. They've shown that lower heart rates can be associated with depression, mood disorders, heart attack, uh, other diseases. But HRV, I think, can really help here. See, if you start an exercise routine and you see that your resting heart rate is trending lower, but your HRV, the variability, is also going lower, let's say, you know, over one or two weeks, well, then you know, you can say, okay, I'm probably over-exercising. I'm pushing it too hard. I'm burning myself out. But on the other hand, if you see that HRV is rising, even if your heart rate is going lower, well, then the exercise is probably making you healthier, um, just like all the doctors say. <laughs> so you can use HRV to test out exercises and different intensities, but you can also use it for a lot of other different things. You can use it to test different diets, different foods. You can test out meditation, mindfulness, other relaxing activities, which have all been shown to raise HRV. Uh, you can test how stressful your day is, uh, how much sleep you get, more sleep you get, higher HRV. Uh, fasting will actually tend to spike your HRV while eating lots of food. It will tend to drop your HRV, although those are temporary changes. All in all, I think HRV can tell you how different things in life are affecting you, good or bad. And this may also provide good motivation to go after those healthy things. You know, if you're doing some new yoga class and you see that your HRV is trending higher over the month that you're doing it, you know, you're probably going to be motivated to stick with it. Uh, when I was researching this, I found many people saying that they cut back on alcohol consumption because of how obvious the fall in HRV was if they overconsumed. Now, interestingly enough, contrary to that, nicotine does not seem to affect HRV much at all from what I have read. So take that as you will. Now, normally, to measure HRV, you need to be hooked up to an EKG for 24 hours to get a really proper number. So like you have to be in a hospital, basically. But there are mobile ones that can you can get off Amazon, uh, which will approximate it. You know, they range in price from $40 to $120. Uh, I'll put the one that I bought in the show notes if you want to look at that. But, you know, any of them are probably decent. Hey, guys, I wanted to cut in here real quick and just to let you know that most HRV monitors are not great, actually. I got one for the wrist, and it was total garbage. didn't work at all. I had to send it back, and I actually got a chest strap. Uh, those tend to be the best for measuring HRV. There are some other specialized ones, but you're starting to get into the you know, $160, $200 range. So uh, I got a chest strap for around $60. Bucks. I will put that in the show notes. Now, the best way to measure your HRV is to measure your resting HRV, meaning in the first few minutes after you wake up. So before you get out of bed, while you're still lying down, you've, you've woken up, you still, you're still in bed, uh, put on the watch or the band or whatever device you're using and let it measure your heart rate HRV for a few minutes. 
After that, record the measurement and then try and measure it in the same physical position and for the same amount of time each day, every day that you are measuring HRV. And over time, you get the data. And that's what lets you start experimenting and seeing how the data changes each day depending on what you do. Now, as far as what numbers to look for, uh, for 25-year-olds, the average is in the high 70s. So pretty, pretty high. Uh, for 35-year-olds, it's in the low 60s. For 45-year-olds, it's in the high 40s. And for 55-year-olds, it's in the mid 40s. And it just kind of keeps dropping from there. Uh, as you can see, like we mentioned, as you get older, HRV tends to decrease. But the raw number is really not what's important so much as the trend of the number. So if over time your HRV is going up, that is a really good indication that you are moving in the right direction in life. If over time it's trending down, well, you're probably stressing yourself out, you're working too hard, you're, you're eating poorly, uh, whatever it is, you might need to make some changes or you're going to face some big consequences. Uh, personally, I'm going to start measuring this number. I'll let you know how it goes. From what I've read online, you know, of people who use these HRV monitors, it can be very useful to know to keep you on the right track to getting better health. And it can be very motivating too when you see that, oh man, HRV is going up and I'm feeling better and I'm having more energy. This is all good stuff. Oh no, I, I worked out too hard. I pushed it too hard. Now my HRV went down. Ah, I got to back off. I, I better rest. You know, it's a really good tool to kind of keep you on the right track. So that's all I have for today. Some exercise, endurance, workout tips that uh, I think are both really interesting. And I don't think most people have heard of these. I, I, at least I hadn't heard of them. So I think they're going to be unique. All I ask is that if you did receive value from the podcast, please share it. Please tell people about it. It helps me out a ton. Uh, and it does tell your subconscious that you value this information. <laughs> it helps with that motivation. Uh, so I'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much for listening. You are.